0: peace of Christ be with you. It is great to see you and be with you this morning. I'm Pastor Randy Lovelace, and if you're visiting with us, I serve here as lead pastor. And I just wanted to take a brief moment before Greg uh, comes to preach this morning. Um, as some, many of you know, uh, my mother passed uh, a little over a week ago. Um, And so I just wanted to take this moment on behalf of my family, Kate and Caroline, and my extended family to just say I feel uh, incredibly blessed, incredibly grateful for the ways in which the Lord has loved on me and my family this week through you. This past week when I traveled to North Carolina to be with my father, Many of you know who've had a loved one or a parent pass. Uh, it is a tour de force of administration. And I serve as power of attorney for my for my father. And there was just, it was a lot to do. And very little space to grieve. Um, because my parents were married 68 years. They met uh, early on in elementary school. Started going together in the sixth grade. Married after they graduated from high school. My mother's maiden name was Love, she married a Lovelace. So, (laughs) true story. And um, so I needed to be present for my dad. And I can't begin to tell you the many prayers which have been uttered that I didn't even know about. The text, the calls, the notes, the personal things you've said to me this morning, uh, I now feel like I can start to grieve. And I say this to you, not as your pastor, but as a fellow human. I've been a pastor for 27 years. But I cannot imagine a safer, more beautiful place to grieve than with you. And I just want to say from the bottom of my heart, thank you. It is hard to receive when you're the one who is serving and giving and being the pastor. It's hard to receive when you're a man. It's hard to fight back tears when you're in the middle of a gym and you're surrounded by other people and you're holding dumbbells and you're starting to tear up. You're like, what's going on? I don't know how to do that well, but I'm learning. But I want to tell you that I know that I can learn safely with you and among you. So I just want to say thank you. With that... Uh, I wasn't here last week. I'm here this week. I want to thank our entire team, Becky, Greg, our administrative team. I want to thank our our elders, our diaconate, for the ways in which you have shown up in ways that I couldn't, the ways in which you've ministered to me. And so I... for a long, we're going to be on a way on a long planned vacation next weekend. And so I won't be here. So I'm not, I'm not leaving. I'm not absent, but I just, it's just the way it's all happened. I'll be back on the 11th, but I'm incredibly grateful that I'm in a place where I can do that knowing that the Lord is at work through you to me and among you. So praise be to God. Thank you. Greg, bring the word.
1: As we transition, let's just say a prayer together. Is that good for Randy and your family? Thanks for those words, Randy. Father, we um, are humbled, Lord, to be able to serve uh, with Randy and also call him a brother in Christ. Um, Lord, I just I thank you for his words and his heart. Uh, we all do, that he has modeled so well what it means to, to care well um, and usher um, a family member to to the presence of Christ. And Lord, we praise you for that. We praise you for how you've led Randy and how he has modeled that for so many of us. And be with him. Abide within him. As this text this morning says, you will abide with those who abide with you. And we ask all of us that you would abide with Randy and Kate Caroline in this time. And we ask this, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Good morning. My name is Greg Davis. I'm the pastor of discipleship and spiritual formation here at Christ Community. If I have not had the privilege of meeting you yet, please come introduce yourself. We uh, were called here and began serving here back in October, and there's many I've met, and there's many yet to be met. So please um, introduce yourself. We are. My wife and I um, have three children. We are still new and um, looking forward to serving and getting to know you in the city of Franklin a little bit better to know how we can shepherd and steward the gospel as a church together. And we are in a sermon series called The Meaning of Discipleship. And we have looked at the call of what it means to be a disciple. We've looked at the purpose of what it means to be a disciple. Last week, we looked at the cost. And then today, we're gonna to look at the power of discipleship. What's the true source of of the power that lives inside a follower of Christ so this is probably John 15 is what probably what, just one of the most practical texts of what it means to live the Christian life and especially as we move into an election year if there were 11 verses that you could just plant for the rest of the year or the rest of your days this would be a good place to start And hopefully by the end of our time, you'll see that. So here's the scene before we read the scripture. It's the night that Jesus was betrayed. Judas, one of Jesus' 12 disciples, has already left the upper room to betray Jesus and hand him over to the Jewish authorities to be arrested. So Jesus leaves the upper room. They travel through the city of Jerusalem, through the Kindred Valley, to the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus drops this, what we'll call a mic drop metaphor for his disciples. Okay, he starts talking about vines and fruit. Vines and fruit. Before he knows he's about to start facing the Jewish authorities. So these words are from John 15, verses 1 through 11. This is the word of God. I am the true vine. Let's pray together. Father, we commit this word to you. Your word is sharper than a double-edged sword. It is alive. It cuts the deepest part of who we are, and we give you praise for that. And Lord, we um, commit this, our listening hearts to you. Commit the preacher's heart to you. Commit this service to you. And just now take a moment and pray for your own heart. Pray for the person next to you, for their heart to be opened. Pray for the preacher's heart. Jesus, we ask all this in your name. Amen. So there's a significant metaphor that Jesus uses here, and it's the vineyard. It's the vine. It was a significant image for the people of God in the Old Testament it was the national symbol for Israel. And even the great doorway into the entrance of the temple, there was a vineyard, there was a vine, there was fruit. And it represented two things. It it represented how God planted his people in the Promised Land, and it represented what he wanted to create in his people in the Promised Land for the rest of the world to see. So he planted his people and he wanted them to produce a harvest. A harvest not for their own good but for his glory, for his existence and to prove to the world and the nations that he is God. The problem was Israel's idolatry and disobedience didn't produce a harvest. That's the story of the Old Testament. Right? They needed a savior, they needed a king. They needed a true priest to come in and bring the harvest for their father in heaven. So in God's sovereign plan, part of the reason of God's sending Jesus to take on flesh and to redeem a people for himself was that Jesus would be able to send his father's spirit into his people so that fruit, that harvest, those good works could still be on display for his father's glory. So when we talk about fruit, that's really the theme of this passage, fruitfulness, fruit, fruit bearing. And that's, a, that's not a term that we use in our society. And it takes, let's just unpack that very briefly. What does fruit mean in the scriptures? It just means good works. It's a, it's a good attitude, it's, a, it's an action uh, that aligns with God's truth in scripture. So it's redemptive because it aligns with what God calls a good work. Okay, so earlier in his life, Jesus speaks about fruit as a synonym for good works. He says, you will know false prophets by their fruit. Just as grapes are not produced by thorn bushes. so every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. So fruit here, it just means good works. And you can recognize what he says here, a true disciple of Jesus from a false disciple of Jesus based on their fruit, their good works. Second, where's fruit cultivated? First, it's cultivated inside of us, in our character. Galatians 5 says that the Holy Spirit will cultivate Christ-likeness in his children. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It's just known as the fruit of the Spirit. Secondly, God produces fruit just through our external actions, serving your neighbor, making a meal for someone, serving on a meal train. I mean, just very basic good works is another way that God, where he cultivates that fruit through our external actions. It's in just how important is fruit in the life of a disciple? Well, Jesus has something to say about it in the text that we're going to unpack. And Paul had something to say about it in Ephesians because he said, you were created in Christ Jesus for good works. Now, we're going to unpack this. Good works is not necessarily, it's an expression of our faith. Our faith is not contingent on good works. And we're going to unpack that. So I know when we start talking about works and fruit, a lot of our minds and our backgrounds start going, Ooh, I, don't, I don't know what he's talking about. We're going to unpack that. There is grace In God's word and there's grace in the delivery of God's word and there's grace for the listener's heart I just want to say that so the question that must be asked but how does this fruit be produced how does God produce this fruit in his people where's the power source and Jesus says the two things we're going to talk about today is pruning and abiding God the father will prune his people and his people are to abide in Jesus that's the power source for how God produces fruit, which proves that you are a disciple of Christ. So that's the framework. And Jesus makes it very clear in verses one and two as we enter this narrative that God's just looking for fruit. That's the one thing he's looking for in the life of a disciple. He's looking for fruit. He says, I'm the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Just, it just means gardener. Every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. So more fruit can be produced. Right, so he's just looking for fruit. And we all need to take a careful examination of our own lives to see if and what fruit God is producing in us. And most of us immediately think of the things that we're doing externally, and those are good. And Jesus is also saying in this passage, look for the fruit of who you're becoming. Are you more patient? Are you carrying joy? The fruit of the Spirit. Because good works literally is a mark of a true follower of Christ. So Jesus, part of this, he says, I am the true vine. This is the last of the seven statements, I am statements, that Jesus delivers through the Gospel of John. And those I am statements just declare his deity as fully man and fully God and his sufficiency as Savior for anyone who believes in him. So he said, I am the bread of life. I'm the light of the world. I'm the door of the sheep. I'm the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. There's a whole sermon series right there. He says, I am the true vine because I'm all you need. I am the source for life. I bring life, I am life. I'm the only pipeline of God's grace into your life. And he notice he says the true vine, he's speaking against counterfeit vines, false vines. The religious leaders of Jesus' day believed salvation was just earned by good works. Just doing God's law. And there's even a deviation today still of the true gospel that's still very prevalent that salvation is earned in plus good faith, good works plus faith. When we believe scripture teaches that it's just faith alone and the good works are a fruit of your faith. It's an expression of your faith. It's not contingent on your faith. Faith in Jesus Christ is the only source for new life. The gospel teaches that we have no righteousness in ourself. There is an outward righteousness that just must be applied to us And through faith alone, that righteousness of Christ is given to anyone who professes him as Savior, and that is where you will be forgiven now and forevermore. There's no works, there's no good deeds, only faith is required to come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And because Jesus is the one true power source, he produces the the fruit inside of us. Jesus also declares the God, God the Father as the gardener. So your Father in heaven is responsible for creating the branch and vine relationship. Caring for the branches. The Father watches over the daily conditions of the branches. We are the branches. God the Father is looking for you. He's cultivating your soil. He's producing fruit through his branches. And then he begins in verse two, he also starts talking about pruning. So that's just introductory, pruning in verse two. They're looking for fruit. Verse two, Jesus says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. So he starts identifying two different branches. And we all fit in one of these branches. Every person fits a non-bearing fruit branch or a fruit-bearing fruit branch. So first, those non-fruit-bearing branches are those branches who are attached to the vine, yet whose wood is just dead. The fruit is unable to be produced by the vine in the branch. An example of a non-fruit-bearing branch is Judas. Judas, who betrayed Jesus, one of his own disciples. He was a visible member of the early Christian community, right? He was probably a witness to more than half of Jesus' miracles. He probably saw Jesus multiply the bread and the fish and fed 5,000 plus men, women, and children. But the grace of God, the grace of Jesus never impacted his heart. He did all kinds of stuff for Jesus, but he didn't know Jesus. And he chose 30 coins, which is the value of today, $340 to turn Jesus Christ over to be murdered. That's a non-fruit-bearing branch. A fruit-bearing branch, he says, since every disciple of mine does bear fruit, which is the mark of a disciple <clears throat> bearing fruit, God will then prune, purge. It literally means to cleanse, making room for more fruit to grow. And if pruning is ignored, you gardeners know that your garden will just run wild. It will run in the wrong direction and actually won't bear any fruit. So it is with you and me. When our energy and when our focus as true followers of Christ is divided between godly and ungodly, unsustainable commitments or when our hearts are given over to competing love, affections for God, you, you need to take, back, take a step back and say, what do I need to cut back? Right? That's, just, that's pruning. What do we need to remove from our over-busy schedule, our over-committed life? And pruning can be very laborious. It's a technical process. Um, gardeners know that by pruning branches in the fall, you, you, you almost mutilate your, your, your plant. I mean, it looks half naked. It's jagged. It's nothing to look at. But you're actually preparing the plant for the harsh conditions of winter. So when the spring comes around, there's a bountiful harvest. There's a beautiful fruit on the vine that through the conditions of harshness and pruning, starting by your pruning, there's a harvest to be enjoyed. And it must be said that pruning is necessary. Pruning is necessary for spiritual growth as a disciple of Jesus. It's never never intended to be harmful. And it's necessary. God could prune a bad habit. God could prune a relationship that's been hindering your relationship with him. God could take a job away and he can use all different types of means. I mean, he can use the weather. He can use trials. He can use his people. He can use um, world events. He can use, yes, even his own loving discipline. And we may suffer. Pruning is a semi-death. It's a removal. In experiencing pain, frustration, even bereavement. Eugene Peterson says this about suffering. He said, Jesus went through everything you're going through and more. So learn to think like him. Think of your suffering as a weaning from that old sinful habit of always expecting to get your own way. And then you'll be able to live out your days free to pursue what God wants instead of being tormented by what you want. That's pruning. God will prune to pursue what he is after in you for his purposes. And much that just goes unknown to us. And there's a mystery in that. There's a complete mystery in that. But so, for example, think of someone that you know that just displayed more Christ likeness, strength but gentleness, a servant's heart that you can, they just, maybe it's a coach. Maybe it's was a teacher, maybe it was a pastor, maybe it's a spouse, a family member. And I bet more often than not, that person went through some immense suffering through pruning by their father to become the person that they are. There's a cost. Pruning is, it's difficult and there is a cost. Psalm 119 even says, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I obey your word. As tough it is as it is to hear suffering in the Christian life, although it brings pain, it's never meant to be harmful, yet it's a sure sign that God is present and he is working and he is growing you to become more like Christ. So how can we apply this? Could the idea of pruning help explain what God's been up to in your walk? Could he be reducing your pride so you can practice humility? I'll say yes and amen to that first. Could he be trimming gossip from your lips so you can start practicing being a good witness to your neighbor? The ninth commandment. Maybe there's something that he you would like him to prune, an addiction controlling character, trait, jealousy, envy, anything, ask him and watch what he does. And he'll do it on his time. And it'll always be for your good. So since God's role is to prune us, our responsibility, Jesus says, is to abide in Jesus. God prunes. That's his role. Our responsibility in cooperating with that is to abide in In Christ. Verse 4 and 5. Abide in me, and I in you. In just the previous chapter, Jesus told his disciples that he must go to the Father. So what? The Holy Spirit could come. So he's illustrating what this new relationship with Jesus and his followers, for you and for me and anyone who professes Jesus, would look like. Uh, it, as a Christian or as a non Christian, it may seem like some mystical experience, and that's the reality of a Christian relationship. There's a spiritual union between believer and the Father, and it's unified by the Holy Spirit. So it's a spiritual union, and that's where abiding comes in. Abiding it literally means to remain, to stay close, to dwell, to trust to obey, to persevere. It means that we are to continue on amidst the harsh, wintry conditions of the pruning. We are to continue on. We're not to leave. We're to cleave to Jesus. J.C. Rao paraphrases these words from Jesus to his followers this way. He said, it's almost like Jesus is saying, cling to me, stick fast to me, live the life of close and intimate communion with me, get nearer to me, roll every burden on me, cast your whole weight on me, never let go or hold on to me for every moment of your life. And it's a command. This verb tense of abide is a command, meaning you, can't, you can opt out and you're gonna lose something not necessarily your salvation, but you're gonna lose something. And there's, so there's a personal choice, an intentional responsibility of the believer to whether you're gonna participate in abiding with your savior. And that's the practices of discipleship class that Randy and I are walking our church through just, are just means, they're just venues, they're just practices to help us abide. Randy talked about worship in the act of service, when we practice these things, these marks of what a true follower of Jesus is, there's no value in the practice themselves. The value is it's a means to just deeper, abiding, intimate connection with Jesus so his life as the true vine can flow in and through us and be a blessing to the world in front of us. And that's abiding. That is simply abiding. There's no spiritual value In abiding itself, it's just a practice. Jesus is the vine that comes in and abides in you. Some of you may have known um, the well known book written in the 17th century known as Practicing the Presence of God by Brother Lawrence. He was a monk. He worked, actually, he worked in a monastery in France in the 17th century. And he wrote a book about his everydayness, is what he called it, just the everydayness of God, of living with God. His job was actually just to wash dishes and fix broken sandals for the monks that worshiped at the monastery. And all he did was write a book about how he abided with Jesus and practiced the presence of God in every moment of every day. It's an incredible read, and it's like 37 pages. I mean, it's very short. And it's not much to say about it, but he, he, he shares his experience with how he just abided in the dailiness I mean, he lived out what Paul directed all of us to live is to what it means to live is to is means to live for Christ, Christ in us, Christ for us. Because every invitation, every moment of your day is an invitation to abide with Jesus. Now, your quiet time could be a place to do that. It's not meant to, it's not a place to just stop abiding. I had to learn that as a young Christian. Right? It's just a starting place for abiding so what does Jesus mean here is that we cannot bear spiritual fruit without him he says without me you can do nothing nothing no good works or fruit in verse 5 says can be produced and it means we can, we can tie on as much fruit onto our lives like a Ornaments like on a Christmas tree, as much as we want, and say, look at all of our good works. And and we can, we can raise a family, we can provide for our, our our family, we can provide for our household, we can do good works and practices for God. Jesus is saying here, is it lasting spiritual fruit of the kingdom of God? That's the difference he's saying here. That's spiritual fruit for the kingdom, first and foremost, that's what he's after. That's what abiding and pruning will produce. So how can we apply this there's two words that sum up abiding and i want to give them to you they've been really helpful for me it's dependence depending on god and on jesus to come through for everything that we give him and to watch for him to come through and obedience obeying his word following his spirit dependence and obedience when you depend on jesus for all things and you obey Jesus for all things, you're on a good path of abiding. And you will be proved, you will prove in yourself to be a disciple of Jesus. So, if anyone ever asks you, just, I mean, what? If you give me one thing to live the Christian life, Jesus says, abide in me. (coughs) Dwell within me. Continue with me. Persevere. Be in connection with me. So where can you begin abiding today? Where can you begin this moment? Where is Jesus inviting you? Just be with himself. Then there's a warning that Jesus throws in the right in the middle of this parable that caught me off guard this week. He says, If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. So, this is not a reference to a Christian losing their salvation. Jesus says, Anyone that the Father gives me is secure. Anyone's salvation through faith in Lord Jesus Christ is secure in Jesus now and forevermore. And he does give five descriptions of what a non fruit bearing branch will experience you're thrown away, decay, gathered up. Cast into the fire, which means you'll experience divine judgment. And you'll be burned, which means ever perishing. Never annihilation, just ever perishing. Ever, forever judgment. And that is a stern warning for anyone who rejects the grace of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus, on the night, these are words he's giving to his followers before he is on his deathbed on the cross. So you know Jesus is very dead serious. So this is the sobriety and seriousness of unbelief. The sin of unbelief is the one sin that forgiveness will not touch, cannot touch. You can be forgiven for immorality, theft, envy, greed, murder, you can be forgiven for everything under the Son and the creation of the Lord Jesus Christ, the one thing that is unforgivable is rejecting person and work of Jesus. Jesus said this alone in John 3, whoever believes in him, in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in me. If you don't know Jesus or are currently rejecting Jesus, Jesus is inviting you this morning to reconsider. 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 For those who do know Jesus and are his followers, there is abundance of fruit as we close to be enjoyed in the Christian. So Jesus now takes us up into the metaphor. Here are the blessings. He names five of them. Verse 5, Christ comes and abides in us. He said, I will abide in you. I will draw near to you. His presence, his provision, his protection, it's all yours. The fullness of Jesus and the fullness of his humanity comes and makes his home inside of the believer. Now meditate on that all week. There's no greater blessing in the Christian life for Jesus, the king himself, the author of life and the source of life to come and make his home inside of you. Verse seven, he said, Christ answers prayer. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. He says, stay connected with me and his word will abide in you. Your prayers and answers will be heard and answered. Your prayers will be heard and answered because they're molded by the word of God. Number three, God's glorified, verse eight. He it says, it's, it's, it's easy for us to speak of pr- sitting here and singing songs and singing hallelujahs and saying amen, brother and sister, and all, all that. But the way that God really is praised is through the transformation of a life. That's how he gets praised, because our transformation is he is the gardener. He's the one producing his fruit through us. And our transformation Is his witness, is our witness to his existence and glory and gospel of grace. And that brings him glory. Verse 9, Christ fills us with his love. And what should motivate us to love to what should motivate us to abide? It's his love for us first. Jesus is already abiding with you, whether you know it or not. He's already in you, loving you, drawing you closer to the love of the Father through the power of his spirit. And by obeying God's word, honors God because God will honor those who obey his word. And his love is the catalyst, it's the fuel, it's the gasoline for Jesus coming and abiding in us and us abiding in him. Finally, he says, it'll make your joy complete, verse 11. The very exact joy in the humanity of Jesus, in Hebrews 1 says Jesus is the most joyful person ever to live, ever to walk, his joy will make you complete. So his joy is now your joy. It's not necessarily about fairy tale dreams coming through and making you the most happy person in the world. There's a joy because joy is rooted in the Father's love for you, not just your circumstances around you. So as we close, what do you need this morning? What do you need? Do you need joy rather than happiness? Do you need peace for a troubled heart? Do you need peace for an anxious soul? Do you need God's direction? Do you need strength for the road ahead? Do you need hope? What do you need? Draw close to Jesus. Abide in him. Be in his word. Let his word be in you. If you don't have Jesus, I challenge you to answer, what do you have? Jesus says you have nothing. But you may have him. He is for your taking. Believe in him for the forgiveness of all broken and sinful humanity that you've done and the things that have been done to you. And He will give you a new heart. He will remove the flesh of the old heart. He'll give you the heart of His Spirit. And He will become the true vine, bringing new growth and new life into your life, transforming your existence to the glory of His Father and for the good of you and all those around you. He is yours for the taking. And He will give you joy and he will give you peace more than you can ever thought was imaginable. And if you have Jesus, know this and hear this, you have everything you will ever need. And are you ready for God's pruning? Are you willing to cooperate when he starts pruning? or is comfort and exclusion of suffering more important to you than growing in Christlikeness? It's uncomfortable and it will hurt and it's meant to grow you to be a better witness of his grace in your life and a better steward of his glory and his gospel. Because just as laziness and fruitfulness never go together, God's pruning and our abiding, that's the true power source of God building his fruit through you, proving that you are a disciple of Christ. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for how your word is perfect and that we come humbly holding these truths or that we profess them, we confess them and we need your help. We need your spirit to guide us. So we ask the Holy Spirit now that in the name of Jesus, you would guide us to confession, to repentance as we come to the table, and that you would grow in us, Lord, that sobriety and that humility that we need you, Jesus. Wherever each one of us are this morning, may we declare that we need you. And we thank you for first giving yourself to us for us. And we love you, Lord Jesus. Continue to be with us as we worship you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.